Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Controversy. Nothing personal. Word of the day for Wednesday, January 26th, 2022 is controversy. The Hall of Fame made its announcement and people are going crazy. I think that's where we are in the world where if you have an opinion that is different than someone else's opinion, that person's totally wrong. There can be no reason behind their thought process. That is the political divide we are in. That is the sports divide. It didn't used to be that way. We used to be able to have conversations about topics that were interesting. We used to have something, it's called, I'm trying to remember the course I took in high school. Oh yeah, debate, where you can actually try to convince someone that your point of view or your argument is correct and you are open to be convinced that their point of view and their side is correct. Controversy is what happens when people make decisions that you don't agree with and you say, oh, we're having a controversy here. Hall of Fame voted in David Ortiz of the Boston Red Sox, the former non-tender of the Minnesota Twins. Coca, I'm so happy that I never non-tendered a player who is going to be a Hall of Famer because talk about a career-ending mistake, right? I've traded a bunch of guys who ended up being great traded away players who were already great and didn't get enough back for them. I've done all that. Overpaid guys, done all that stuff. No problem. But to non-tender, which means basically you're releasing a player who then becomes a Hall of Famer, ugh, that's a tough one. But David Ortiz joins the Red Sox. He becomes a postseason hero, wins three World Series championships. The face of the Red Sox during the Boston Marathon bombing, the same year they won the World Series, Boston Strong, et cetera, et cetera. David Ortiz, a suspected steroid user, tested positive in 2003. Therefore, he should be looped in with all the other steroid people, A-Rod and Clemens and Bonds and Sosa and McGuire and yada and yada and yada. Except the commissioner said, you know, those tests, we, they could have had some bad results, maybe some tip ne- positives that were really negative or negatives that could have been positive. So you really shouldn't look at that 2003 list, which by the way, never should have been leaked. You shouldn't do that. So the writers said, you know, we can do that. And then of course the writers were told we can't have nobody inducted. We can't just have the veterans. We can't, we got to get, we need it. The anchor tenant is what I said. So they do an entire show, a four-hour pregame. And then the new head of the Hall of Fame, the former Diamondbacks executive named Josh, gets up and says, we are excited to welcome one new member to the class of 2022. And you heard it on Nothing Personal yesterday. The suspense was over. It was over before it started. Ortiz or bust is what I told you, and it was going to be Ortiz. Even did the video on Twitter, Coca, before I went on HQ Live, 
because I wanted to be on record that it was going to be Ortiz, and then it was. And then the controversy started. People started going bananas. How could Bonds and Clemens not be in our Hall of Fame? What kind of Hall of Fame would not have the greatest pitcher and the greatest hitter of all time? And then the second greatest argument, and Bud Selig's in the Hall of Fame, the commissioner who oversaw the steroid era. I want to clarify something beyond a shadow of a controversial doubt. When you know that your player is doing something to make himself better and there is no rule against it, you are not going to stop your player. Do you think that I was not aware what was going on in 2003 when the Marlins were winning the world championship? Do you think I wasn't in the clubhouse seeing players without shirts on? Do you think I wasn't paying attention when Pudge went to the Tigers and had that off season where he became a different looking player? Does that mean that I'm culpable? No, I didn't give anybody steroids. They didn't shoot up in front of me. They didn't have needles sent to my house under my wife's name the way Roger Clemens did. They didn't change hat sizes by four and then say, I don't even know what you're talking about. Barry Bonds lied about his steroid use and then doubled down on the lie, then tripled down on the lie. In the face of proof, he said, I never tested positive. I didn't do it. Well, all he had to do was say, I never tested positive. That may have given him a better chance. There's a clause, and you can take umbrage with the requirements to get a plaque in the Hall of Fame. But the baseball writers are meant to look at several qualities of which integrity and character are two. That's just the rules. The writers did their job by not having Bonds and Clemens in the Hall of Fame because they violated at least two, if not four, of the criteria needed to get into the Hall of Fame. And that led to another controversy of people saying, that's not fair. You can't represent the history of baseball. You can't have a museum. People were doing like the critical race theory argument for the Hall of Fame. So here is my position on how to solve that in a debate-like style. You want to represent the steroid era in the Hall of Fame? I couldn't agree with you more. Fund an exhibit, like in museums. An exhibit that shows what happened in the 1990s, in the 2000s, in the 2010s. Talk about McGuire and Sosa in the home run chase in 1998. Go ahead and bring out Rob, uh, Robin Williams, Barry Bonds' helmet, and show what size it actually was. Show a picture of him before and after. Show Roger Clemens donning his cap to thank the world in 2003 for a great career and then show him pitching for years after. Talk about the clear, the cream. Do it all in an exhibit. What the baseball writers are voting on year in and year out are who get the plaques. It's called the plaque room if you've never been to Cooperstown. And if you haven't, I strongly suggest you go because it's awesome. The plaque room is where every member who has been elected into the Hall of Fame, they get the plaque, 
like the bronze plaque. So it's called the plaque room. Bonds and Clemens and Sosa McGuire should be in the Hall of Fame. Their items should be in the Hall of Fame, but their plaque simply should not. Something happened yesterday that is incredibly uncommon. The San Francisco Giants, the team that Barry Bonds played for, the team that had a very controversial relationship with Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds was, I, you know, Coco, we played against Barry Bonds so many times. Forget the fact when he was a coach, a hitting coach for the Marlins. I'm talking about when he played against the Marlins. He was the don't let him beat you guy. He was the he always will beat you even if you don't let him beat you. Don't just walk him every time guy. No, I'm too proud. We can get him out. We can do it, Sparky. We know how to pitch him. We've got the right pitching coach. We've got the right pitchers. We can do it. <laughs> Home run, walk off. Spent more time moving my neck from the, in San Francisco, the seats where I sat were at the first base dugout. I spent more time cocking my head. I had neck aches after trips to Pac Bell, AT&T Park. I don't even know what park it is now. They changed the name every month in Gdunashtik. Do you blame them? Where do they play now? Oracle. The giant statement, by the way, said nay. They said, hold on. Stop. Barry Bonds also helped pave the way for building Oracle Park, open parens, nay, Pacific Bell Park in 2000. I love you, San Francisco. Nay means born. Born Pacific Bell it was. Now it's Oracle. But I spent more time needing a massage walking back to the team hotel from my neck going from home plate and then cocking toward the McCovey's Cove all the time. If you're watching this on YouTube, nothing personal with David Sampson. You can see what I'm doing. If you're not, I'm looking left. I'm looking at the plate and there's the pitch and oh, there it is, home run. That's how quickly Bonds' ball would leave and we'd lose the game. It was quite something. So the Giants, their issue with Barry Bonds is they didn't like him. He was a disruptive, divisive person in the clubhouse how many championships did they win with him coca can you tell me i know that tim lincecum who was on the ballot yesterday did not get five percent so he's off the ballot lincecum won in 10 12 and 14 was bonds off the team by 2010 i'm gonna say for sure he was which means that when bonds was there they did not win a world series we beat him in 03 when they were the number one seed they were 100 win team they came close when the angels won i believe but was, or maybe, come on, Coca, are you there? Are you looking? Johnny, can you hear me? Johnny, be good. I'm not going to delay much longer. Did Barry Bonds win a World Series ring? Thank you. Never. They had such disruption in their clubhouse. He was treated differently. When you walk into the San Francisco Giants clubhouse, by the way, they had regular clubhouse chairs and then this huge, comfy, like, sofa chair that your grandpa sits in that has a latch on it that can lean back so you're comfortable, like a triple-sized chair and a double-sized locker. I mean, they kowtowed to him. Talk about treating players differently, which causes major problems in the clubhouse. But that's not relevant to the Hall of Fame. But what's relevant is that the Giants themselves couldn't wait to be rid of Barry Bonds, but their fans, he was so beloved that they had to do it in a way that did not in any way jeopardize the relationship that the Giants fans had with the Giants team because the Giants were a revenue-making machine in that new ballpark. But then Bonds was gone, and then they had a some sort of fight because Bonds wanted to be more a part of it, and they didn't want him, and then they he. Bonds wanted to be resigned, but then no teams resigned him. Do you remember the whole collusion argument? 
that no teams wanted to sign Barry Bonds when he was still a performing player? You think Bud Selig called us up and said you may not sign Barry Bonds? No, he's way too smart for that. He had someone else do it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. There was no collusion. We just didn't want the headache. We had lived with Barry Bonds. That was where I came up with the juice is not worth the squeeze, was signing Barry Bonds. Signing A-Rod was in that category too. So the Giants, after yesterday's vote, they wanted to get right there into the controversy. A seven-time MVP, 14-time All-Star, 12-time Silver Slugger Award winner, and winner of eight gold gloves, Barry was a generational talent who amassed a 298 lifetime batting average, a major league record 762 home runs, which no one wanted to celebrate or acknowledge was the record, and 2,558 walks, of which I'm responsible for many of those, over his storied 22-year major league career. His incredible talent and immediate impact when he signed with the Giants in 93 sparked not only a baseball renaissance in San Francisco, but also, correct grammar, this was written by a professional, helped pave the way for building Oracle Park, nay, Pacific Bell Park, in 2000. We remain hopeful. Here it comes. Get ready. We remain hopeful that he will gain election into the National Baseball Hall of Fame through the next phase of the voting process. Do you know why they released that statement? They don't want to fight with Barry anymore. Barry comes and is beloved still by fans. He makes appearances during home games because no one would hire him to be on their coaching staff anymore. Signs some autographs. Tries not to be angry and surly all the time. Sits down next to the dugout. Shows up on the field. The players all have heard of him. They love being around him. Hey, where'd you get that stuff? Hey, I'm up for my contract. Man, I'm not hitting these dead balls. So the Giants had no choice but to champion his cause. Well, believe me, they wrote that entire release with their fingers plugging their nose and their fingers and toes crossed. They don't want to fight with him anymore. They feel like enough time's gone by. And they are hopeful that in the next phase of the voting process, but they forgot the last sentence of the release, which is, comma, the likelihood of which is zero. The next phase of the voting process means that when you are on the ballot for the National Baseball Hall of Fame, you have 10 years to get 75%. If you don't get 75% in 10 years, you're off the ballot. You're done. If in any year that you're on the ballot, you get fewer than 5% of the vote, you're done. But once you're done, you become eligible for what used to be called the Veterans Committee. The Veterans Committee is split into three different committees. The committee that Barry Bonds is eligible to be voted on by is called Today's Game Committee. It's 16 people made up of players, executives, and media. Who do you think is on those committees? Just asking for a friend. Take a look at who got the votes for this year for the It wasn't today's game committee because they switch off each year. It was people of a more recent generation, but not today's generation. I'm totally blanking right now, Coca, on the names of the other two committees. But the most recent one is today's game committee. You think that Major League Baseball doesn't have a say in who's on the committee? You think Major League Baseball is not aware of exactly what year Bud Selig is going to be voted into the Hall of Fame and by who? You think Major League Baseball doesn't pay attention to induction weekend and who's going to be in when? You think that these era committees are not 
politicized, and I don't mean Trump-Biden, folks. I mean owners-players. I may get in trouble for this, Coca. I'm not going to get canceled, but I may get in trouble. Every single vote by any of the era committees and many of the actual regular Writers Association ballots, there is an awareness by the writers of circumstances, situations, and other such issues within the sport, political and otherwise. There is a semblance of independence, no doubt about that. But the era committees, those are stacked. And they're stacked in a way that they're completely controlled. There is zero chance. You are hearing it now, San Francisco. Your statement be damned. Barry Bonds won't be voted in by the Today's Game Committee, which meets, by the way, in 2022 at the winter meetings. If there are winter meetings in 2022 and they're not canceled when we get the Zeta COVID variant. I hope we're not up to Z by then. I hope we're done at O, Omicron. It's just not going to happen. So where does the game go from here? The game continues to evolve. Getting into the Hall of Fame as a starting pitcher continues to be difficult because starting pitching and the premium that teams pay for starting pitching, GMs are quickly catching on that that type of money for starting pitching, it doesn't pay. So 300 wins is a dream, never going to happen again. There will not be another 300-game winner in Major League Baseball. Starters don't pitch long enough to get wins. Pitchers don't pitch long enough to get enough starts, to get enough wins. And that used to be the criteria. You've seen that criteria sort of fall by the wayside slowly. There was a man on the ballot who played for us in 2012 who used to be a close friend, and I've not spoken to in a decade because after we traded Mark Burley to the Toronto Blue Jays, and I personally called him to tell him we were trading him. He never spoke to me again and has never spoken to me since, has never responded to a text since. I was close with him and his family. Mark Burley received 5.8% in his second year on the ballot, a decrease from his first year, but he remains on the ballot. Mark Burley is, is the most likely starting pitcher on that ballot to get in. He deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I went back last night and I looked at Mark Burley's stats and I looked at what he did as a professional baseball player during his long career. He had a Hall of Fame career, and he did it the right way because I watched it up close and personal. His ability to perform, to win, and to be out there every five days was basically unmatched during the course of his career. And the thought of him taking PEDs, it, it would never even occur to him. That's what bothers me about this PED controversy is the number of great players who didn't do it, who therefore don't have the numbers, didn't have the success because they stuck to their principles. Jeff Conan and I have had conversation after conversation. He played for the Orioles watching people stick needles in places where the sun don't shine and get paid for it, and he wouldn't do it. Cost him $100 million in his career if he had done steroids. Never would do it. He never wanted to be the person who needed to cheat in order to compete. He was on the ballot one time, didn't get 5%, was off the ballot. He made enough money in his career, great money, but nothing close. 
We have to acknowledge the fact that if you are going to break the rules knowingly and then you are going to lie about it, it's going to cost you your plaque. But then the controversy continues with another conversation. Well, how come Mike Piazza's in the Hall of Fame? How come Pudge Rodriguez is in the Hall of Fame? How come Jeff Bagwell's in the Hall of Fame? Trying to name off people who are suspected steroid users. And I grant you, they are suspected steroid users. No positive tests. Wait, Barry Bonds never tested positive to Roger Clemens. Clemens and Bonds were not suspected steroid users. They were known steroid users. There is a line between when you know something and when you suspect something. And that is a very critical line when you're evaluating whether or not a player should get a plaque. I can easily sit here and tell you that I agree with Pudge having a plaque because I can look at the course of his career and I can tell you exactly what part of his career was impacted by steroids and what part was not, just like the writers can. It is then that people say in their debate, Barry Bonds was a Hall of Famer before he was ever suspected of doing steroids. If his career had stopped when he left Pittsburgh with a size medium shirt, he would have been in the Hall of Fame. No, he would have been Tim Lincecum. Tim Lincecum had an unbelievable career, but it was cut short by injuries. His nickname was The Freak. He was on the ballot this year, off the ballot, three World Series rings, two Cy Youngs. Unhittable. When you faced Tim Lincecum, you were losing the game. When you can beat Tim Lincecum, you feel like you can sweep the Giants. That is the impact he had for the large number of years. But his body simply couldn't hold up because the delivery was so unnatural. It was freaky, super freaky. Tim Lincecum has a Hall of Fame resume. It's just cut short. Don Mattingly, Hall of Fame resume, not in the Hall of Fame, cut short injury. There are scores of players who had great periods of their career, but they were not long enough to be Hall of Fame worthy. That's why Barry Bonds pre-steroids is not a Hall of Famer. Roger Clemens, same thing. So to me, controversies can be settled. The way you settle a controversy is through factual discourse. It's through conversation. It's through the ability and the desire to actually listen and be willing to change your view when presented with cogent arguments that you say, ding, the light bulb went off, I get it. You're going to listen to talk radio today. You're going to listen to people on CBS Sports or ESPN or all different podcasts. You may even listen to Matthew Coca, and they'll all have one thing in common, outrage, disdain, contempt, hatred, anger, frustration. But where's the beef, Claire? Give me an argument that will convince me that they deserve a plaque and not an exhibit. It's not going to happen. Wait to see is when we tell you something's going to happen. We told you Ortiz would be the only Hall of Famer. That was yesterday's wait to see, Coca. That's a yes. I got to wait to see for you today. It's such a give me that it almost makes me feel guilty, but I'm going to do it anyway. Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, who are eligible in 2022 to be voted on by media players and execs as part of today's game committee will not be voted into the Hall of Fame. Are we clear? Thank you. Well, we're on a hitting streak right now. Nothing personal is on a streak of doing a show every day because that's what we do. And now all of a sudden the players union and the owners are meeting every day and their streak is over. 
Cause it's over. Yes, it's over. Two days of meetings and they've had enough. So many articles came out. Great progress. It's so meaningful. The fact that the players are moving off their positions, the owners are agreeing to all of this cool stuff. Let me tell you what happened yesterday because it was pretty good. You had a second day of meetings after the Players Association responded to the owner's proposal of maybe 10 days ago or last Monday, whenever it was. And I told you yesterday that there was a, the players wanted money going to younger players. So guess what was announced yesterday, meaning it was leaked. You're going to like it. There is a pool of money that MLB is going to take from central revenue. Now, let's be clear what that means. Central money, central revenue is money that goes into the commissioner's office. It's held in separate accounts and it's owned 1 30th by each team. So there's a bank account. And when ESPN pays a broadcast network bill of let's say $100 million, that $100 million gets deposited into a bank account that is owned by all 30 teams. However, it's like an UTMA account. If you know what that is, if you have kids, you may know what an UTMA account is. As a president of the Marlins, I can't take my uh, time card. TY oh, <laughs> are there any Wisconsin people listening? When I first got a card, it was called a time card. Take your money everywhere. Then it became a debit ATM card, automatic teller machine, but I still call it a time card. If you're out there, just raise your hand. Anyone, I'm looking at this. We, we now do the show in front of a huge studio audience. Anyone here from Wisconsin? No, no, no the state. Yeah, time? No, T-Y-M-E. No, all right. I can't take my time card, put it in a bank, and say, give me my percentage of the $100 million. The commissioner is in charge of that money and when it gets distributed. The commissioner has an investment committee made up of owners, and they invest that money. The commissioner has an executive council made of owners who they go through a budget with of what's going to get distributed when. But the commissioner, starting with Selig and continuing with Manford, they do not want to distribute all central revenue to the teams because owners have the addiction that when they've got money dans votre poche, it goes into the poche of the players. Bud Selig always used to say, what do you want me to give you the money for? So you can waste it on a player who's going to lose more games for you than he's going to win, and you're going to suffer 90 nights a year losing games? Why the hell do you want to do that? Give me a Diet Coke. We're sponsored by Pepsi. I don't give a crap. Give me a Diet Coke. Sorry. That's just what happens during owners' meetings. So central revenue comes from sponsorships. Lone Depot American League Championship Series. They pay money into that pot, too broadcasting deals, international media rights deals, games that are played in Japan, Mexico, anywhere outside of the United States, all revenue from that, boom, right into the pot. Teams are told each year how much they're going to get from that pot, and they can use that as part of their budget to decide what their payroll is going to be, how much money they're going to make, or how much money they're willing to lose. There is very rarely upside surprise because baseball is very controlling with their distributions. So there's a big difference between a central fund distribution and central fund revenue. So MLB said, we have an idea. 
we want to get younger players paid too, just like you do, players. So we're going to take money not out of the team's budgets. We're going to take money out of central revenue. And we're going to put it into a pool. This is like when you go to a, like a racetrack or you go to Vegas and you pool all your money together with your friends. I've got the best idea. Let's put all our money together and put it on Lord Byron. I want the right to bet Lord Byron. You're not going to call my wife, are you? That's a little Let It Ride riff. If you haven't seen Let It Ride, please go watch it. So all the money gets pu pulled together. You put it in a pool. And then they want to distribute it, wait for it, to the top 30 pre-arbitration players based on wins above replacement. <laughs> so here's how it works. When you've got a first-year player, as you know, that player makes the minimum. And then the second year, that player makes whatever the team wants. They have no say. Until that player is eligible for arbitration, the player has no say in what he's going to get paid. The union says we want to stop that. We want to get more money than just the minimum, and we want to make it under a set theory that if a player has a certain number of wins above replacement, they are going to get a piece of that pool of money. We're going to do distributions. Do you understand the work that will be involved when they come up with a system where MVP and Cy Young Awards and Rookie of the Awards, where are you placing that as a first-year player? If you place seventh in Rookie of the Year, fourth in Cy Young, and you are number five in wins above replacement amongst all first-year players, you get an extra $125,000. If, however, you finish eighth, you only get an extra $110,000. We're going to slot everyone in. They're going to have to hire people just to figure out the formula, hire more people to send out the allocation once the formula is agreed to. And then the players want $105 million going into this pot. And the owners said, you know what? We'll put $10 million bucks in. For the owners to put $10 million into a formula, let me help you with the math. Coca, get out your calculator. What is 10 million divided by 30? Wait for it. I'm going to guess. I could be wrong. I'm going to guess around $335,000. Am I close? Am I in the neighborhood? 10 million divided by 30. Just give me an idea because I don't think I could get that right. $333,000. Yeah, I'm right. That would mean that a team may have to pay $333,000 of its money per year into that pool. $330,000 is the equivalent of raising the minimum by $100,000 and only having three minimum players on your team. Every team has more than three players making the minimum, which means the owners are way more focused on what the minimum salary is than this pot of money that's coming out of the central fund. But wait a minute, what if the players get their way and there's $100 million? That would then be $3.3 million. Wow. Epic. N-G-T-H. This is all bait and switch. If you think there's going to be a $100 million pot of money that's going to get given to players and there's going to be the minimum salary that the players want, which is a raise from about five seventy to seven hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars, which is an extra two hundred thousand dollars a player for ten minimum players. So that's an extra two million dollars in payroll. Then 
the pot of money of $100 million, which would be an extra $3 million out of their pockets. So that's an extra $5 million of payroll per team. NGTH, not going to happen. It's not even a trade that you make to get expanded playoffs. And then on top of that, the players want universal DH, which is another increase in payroll, not funded by the central fund, which the central fund is funded by the teams. The players are misunderstanding reality. The things they are asking for, and they're trying to hide as though it's not a big ask. These are asks that add up and owners are keeping track. What is the impact to my annual operation? What is the impact to my payroll? And all of this is being set up so perfectly by the owners because the players are going to keep on this tack. They're going to keep saying, oh, put more money in that pool, get that more money to younger players, increase the minimum. And while they're sleeping, the competitive threshold that they want up at 245 and the owners want down at 220 or 218, it's going to be way below 230 way below, which acts as a salary cap. While the players aren't paying attention, expanded playoffs will be exactly what the owners want, and they know what deals they've cut with broadcasters and how much money that means to them. The players, while they're sleeping, will still have the debt service rule, which serves as a de facto cap as well because you're not allowed to have debt over a certain percentage of your EBITDA, and if you have negative EBITDA, which many teams do, unfortunately, you can't have any debt. So all the things that are not being discussed because they're not sexy, the owners are plenty focused on. Now, what does this all mean to you? What it means to you is, don't worry. I didn't want you to have to read leaks from either side. I didn't want you to have to focus on things that are being said and offered because I wanted you to be a consequentialist and know that there will be a deal at the end of the day. There will be a deal that the players will be able to claim that they got more than they thought they would, and then they're going to fire Bruce Mayer, mark my words. The owners will be able to say we didn't continue the unbelievable winning streak of crushing the players the way we have for so many years. However, we still got the better end of this deal, and we got 23 votes. Play ball. There will not be a World Series missed. There will be a regular season, even if it's not 162 games. So all of this will soon be forgotten. So why not forget about it now? We can't because I've got to tell you what's going on when it goes back and forth because everyone else is. All right, we're going to review a movie that I shouldn't have watched when we come back and then we're going to talk about what happened with Sean Payton yesterday. And that was an amazing moment in football history, what Sean Payton did. We will be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. 
That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. Thank you so much for reviewing, rating, following, subscribing, telling your friends about Nothing Personal. Word of mouth is the cheapest, most efficient way to grow a show or to get your product. How much marketing did the Wordle guy do? Did you do Wordle yet today? Do you know what Wordle is? Don't go to the app. It's Wordle like .uk or something. It comes out at midnight. You have to guess a word within six tries. It is addictive. It is the crack of crossword puzzles. And it's healthy. Keeps your brain going. I've been doing it every day. I'm not going to stop until I guess it on the first try, which I think there's like, go to the dictionary, Coca. Is there a way to find out? It's five letters. The number of five-letter words like, let's say there's 2,500 five-letter words that Wordle uses. So the odds are that after 2,500 times, one of them, I will guess the word on the first try. Because I don't use the same word every time like some people do. R-S-T-L-N-E. Pat? Vanna? I don't do that. I think of a different five-letter word every day. I don't know. There's 1.5 million five-letter words. No, I, I can't even hear you. Oh, you're writing it? 158,000 five-letter words. Wow, that's a lot of years of Wordle. There's no way that that guy Wordle uses all five-letter words as possibilities. I wonder if we can possibly search what his, what he or she or they are doing in Wordle. Anyway, I move on. So I watched a movie that, uh, no, no, let me go back. Thank you for telling people about nothing personal. I meant word of mouth because you've built this show and you keep doing it. And all these different providers are now noticing nothing personal. And they love Coca. They love what he's doing. They could do with or without me. Nothing personal with blank could be anybody. But they don't know that we own nothing personal. Yes, we do, Coca. So we appreciate you guys. I'm not allowed to say that. Sorry. We appreciate you people. You human beings with a heartbeat. I watched a movie that I said I wouldn't watch. And I'm upset with myself. Mel Gibson is an anti-Semite. If you want to learn about why, you can follow Josh Molina on Twitter. You can read Josh Molina's articles that he's written about this. Or you can just get on Google. Mel Gibson is a man that I do not want to support in any way. I made a commitment that I would not watch any of his movies anymore. And I spent two ninety nine to watch his new movie called Dangerous. And I want to explain why. It stars Clint Eastwood's son, Scott Eastwood. It's got to be Clint Eastwood's son. I just said something to you on the air that I didn't research. And I don't know for sure. He sounds like Clint Eastwood. He looks like Clint Eastwood. But he absolutely may not be Clint Eastwood's son. Coco will give you that answer. It's a movie about a ex-Navy SEAL guy. He is. Thank you, Coco. An ex-Navy SEAL guy who's gone a little crazy and has some PTSD and he's one of these weapons like Jason Bourne. He was created to be a weapon and then people are surprised when he goes a little cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. So he has a psychiatrist played by Mel Gibson and he's a dangerous guy. That's why the movie's called Dangerous. And he goes to an island to try to find out why his brother's dead and he ends up having like the rock to save everyone in the island while killing people, but he doesn't want to kill people because he's getting better because Mel Gibson taught him to get better. He takes drugs to get better, like lithium, which sort of flatten him out. Blah, blah, blah. The movie stinks. Mel Gibson shoots all of his scenes in one room. I assume he was on set 
COVID-related. They could film it wherever he was. He was probably on set for five days doing all of his... It wasn't even a set. Could have been his house, for crying out loud. He looks like he's 100 years old, but I'm not here to talk about that. I'm here to say that I gave 299 and I stopped you from doing it. So my view is that what I've done by giving 299 to Mel is I've cost him money, so I've accomplished my goal. Because all of the people listening to this show, not one of you, not one of you will give a dollar to that anti-Semite. That's called math, folks. Dangerous. Skip it. All right, Coca. Let's do nothing personal pick of the day and then end with uh, that question someone gave me. We're down to 11 and 10. I I made a mistake. And the mistake I made is thinking that the Nets without Irving and without Harden, without Durant, would play well against the Lakers who had Anthony Davis coming back and had LeBron who's having the greatest stretch of his career, frankly. LeBron had a great game. The Lakers are not a great team. Russell Westbrook absolutely is horrific. But they're better than the Nets. The Nets without Irving and Durant are ordinary, and they lost. Getting three points wasn't enough. The Lakers won with LeBron having a great game, so we're 11 and 10. The Nets really do have a problem. James Harden came out yesterday and said that he is incredibly willing to become a free agent after this season, incredibly willing to get traded anywhere, sign anywhere, maybe even back with the Nets, but he's very disappointed with how the Irving situation is playing out. When you are a basketball team, you can't have players in and out of the lineup like Irving is. You get no continuity. You get no feel for what it's like to have the same group of players, where they're going to be. The Nets are screwed. By allowing Irving to only play road games, they have screwed themselves. They're better off without him. We're 11 and 10. All right. The Jazz and Suns play tonight in a rematch. Utah has, uh, I think, Coke and I are in the starting lineup. Donovan Mitchell's out. Rudy Gobert's out. The Phoenix Suns are the best road team in basketball. I think they have the best record in basketball. And I'm, I've am i been cold. I'm down to 11 and 10. Utah, plus four. <laughs> That's the most idiotic pick of the night, right? You got to take Phoenix. That's why I'm taking Utah. I'm going full George Costanza because the worst that happens is I go back to 500. All right, Coca. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. Get into my Twitter, David P. Samson. Ask me a question and we're going to get to it. Maybe I'll answer it in DMs. Maybe I'll miss it. Maybe it'll make the show. Sean Payton stepped down from the Saints. What does this actually mean? I like that question because I want to talk about Sean Payton. Stepping down, I know you don't mean. What does stepping down mean? Stepping down means resigning. Stepping down doesn't mean you were fired. Stepping down doesn't mean you resigned right before you were going to get fired. When you put it as stepping down, that is you quitting. Walking away. Do you know when you have a player who walks away, guess what you don't have to do? Wait for it. Pay him. Sean Payton was due $15 million a year next year and the year after and the year after. He walked away from $45 million. Stepping down means that the Saints no longer are paying Sean Payton. So let me get this straight. Sean Payton went on vacation for two weeks, didn't speak to Gail Benson, didn't speak to his best friend, the general manager, came back from vacation, said, guess what? I'm moving on. I appreciate it, but I'm good. Well, you're still property of the Saints. 
You can't coach anywhere else unless we give you permission. So what exactly is your plan? Oh, what a coincidence. Two days before stepping down, rumors came out that Troy Aikman, which had been rumored for a while, may leave Fox to go to Amazon in their new Thursday night package, which leaves the number one analyst spot open for Fox. Oh, Sean Payton would be a great analyst. Do you know that Sean Payton could become an analyst for any network he wants without any sort of compensation going to the New Orleans Saints? So Sean Payton said, quote, as I sit here today, I don't know what's next. Horse hockey. I haven't spoken to anyone from a media outlet relative to doing TV or radio. Sean, I'm reading your words. I'm listening to your mouth. I haven't spoken to anyone. Of course you haven't. You have an agent. The agent has spoken to them. Maybe that opportunity arises, he continued. I think I'd like to do that, and I think I'd be pretty good at it. Oy vey. Sean Payton will be in the TV booth next year. He will be an analyst, whether it's for Fox, Amazon, NBC, CBS, HLC, HOC, LSD, it doesn't matter. You don't walk away, no matter how much you say you miss Drew Brees and how hard it is to have a team that wins on a consistent basis, no matter how much a team needs to rebuild or how many cap problems you have as a team, you do not walk away. Here's how the conversation goes. Honey, I don't want to coach anymore. Uh, you got $45 million coming to you. Yeah, I know, but I'm just, I'm done with it. Well, you could work a little less hard. No, no, I work very hard. You know, I sleep in the office and how much I care about winning every game. Well, you could still care that much, but you have great defensive and offensive coordinators. You could give them a little bit more responsibility. I'm not saying, I'm not saying just mail it in, but I am just saying, walking away from 45, honey, have you lost your mind? Are you concussed? Do you have seats? Did you get hit on the sideline? Were we snorkeling during vacation and you hit a reef? Oh, no, baby, I forgot to mention, I already have a deal. I'm going to make half the money to start and work one-tenth of the time. Now tell me, do you like the idea of me making $8 million to work 10% of the time? Let's do the math on that. And you know what? After a year or two, I could go back, coach, wherever I want. Where do you want to move? Because I'm going to be the number one candidate. But I may like it. I may turn into Tony Dungy or Bill Cower. I may never go back or... I can go back and get even more than $15 million because I'm Sean Payton. I don't want to sit around for three more years getting $15 million, losing game after game, not going to the playoffs. And then all of a sudden people say, oh, is he washed up? Could he only win with Drew Brees? This is the perfect plan. We've got more networks who are doing games. They need more analysts. And I can talk. I can't necessarily tell you the truth when I'm doing a statement and I say I haven't spoken to anyone. But baby, you know there have been conversations. So you want to know what it means? that Sean Payton is stepping down, it means he's not going to coach anymore, but he is 1,000% going to be working in the NFL. It's not even a wait to see. Coca, do not make, you know what? Yes. We're making it a wait to see. Book it. Sean Payton will be working for a network for the 2022 NFL season. Wait to see. He may be a lot of things, but there's one thing he knows for sure. That it's just business. See you later, New Orleans. It's nothing personal. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. 
they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.